Welcome to Rocktail Hour, an hour's worth of rockin' good time in about 15 minutes with your buddies Tim, Treg, and Ryan. We're three old guys that are a testament to the fact that rock and roll keeps you young. In each Rocktail Hour, we bring you our favorite stories behind the greatest rock and roll tunes of all times and other interesting musings about the music and the rockers who inspire us. Today's Rocktail Hour is brought to you by utelconcerts.com which is dedicated to spreading the love of live music. Check out utelledconcerts.com where you can read and submit concert reviews, enter contests for free tickets, view concert photos, and see an extensive calendar of upcoming shows in the L.A. area. utelconcerts.com because when you tell concerts, it's cooler. Today, Ryan, our newest Rocktail Hour dude, is going to tell us the story behind Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys. And I'm a little excited because we haven't covered anything by the Beach Boys up to now. Go ahead, Ryan. Looking at some of the songs you had covered before, I noticed you hadn't yet covered any Beach Boys songs. And, you know, in my house growing up, we heard two kinds of music. We heard musicals, old musicals from my mom, you know, Doris Day and that kind of <laughs> thing. And and on my dad's side, grew up and raised and grew up in California, it was it was Beach Boys. Awesome. Um, nice. Yeah. And, and that was really the only kind of music we heard. Um, you know, later on, my brother would you know, bring in some ACDC and stuff like that. But that's only when no one else was listening or yeah. when no one else was around. So, Yep, good which, influence of older yeah, brothers. Love yeah, it. it is. It's great, it's, which is, you know, for me, why I, I feel like I have such an eclectic taste in, in rock music. You know, I have just a little, and even my love of musicals, you know, I get that from my mom. So anyway. Um, have you ever heard the Beach Boys cover of K Sarah Sarah? No, are you kidding me? No, I am. Yeah, okay, great. Well, I, well, the interesting thing is, I'll tell you now, but I was going to mention this later. But there actually was a Beach Boys musical a few years ago. Did you know that? Oh, I didn't know that. And wow, it, it just it didn't last. But uh, it was on Broadway or off Broadway for just a few months. It was all a musical based on the, the music of the Beach Boys. Was it telling the story behind the band or just um, you know, taking I, their music? I, I don't know. It's just a little thing, a little blurb I found that said wow. that. There was a musical based on the music of the Beach Boys. And I thought, well, you know, that sounds like a great idea. You know, Green Day has done it. And I, yeah. I love the Green Day version of uh, American Idiot musical. Hmm. Have you ever, ever listened to that, hey. either of you? Hey, if they can make a Broadway show about Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. There you, you go. Certainly there you the go. Beach Boys. <laughs> <laughs> they could do anything. So anyway, this was uh, this was released as, as a single in October of 1966. It wasn't part of an album at the time or anything. Um, Interestingly, though, it, it was the it was the Beach Boys' third number one hit, but it was their first uh, number one hit in the UK. And I was thinking about this. Do you think you know why it was their first UK number one hit? I'm just curious if you got. I, I'm thinking it's because this is the first song or one of their main songs that wasn't just about surfing or oh, yeah, or beaches yeah. or girls on the beach or California girls. Hmm. This was something kind of different for right, them, you right. know, kind of off than their normal standard. Um, so I, I think finally that's how they got, they were able to get their first UK hit, at least in my opinion oh, anyway. Makes sense. That, that does but, make um, sense. Anyway, they started recording this during, um, well, I should say Brian Wilson started recording this during the Pet Sounds album. Um, started recording it in pieces, never could quite get it all together at the same time. It was taking so long that he kind of shelved it for a while and went, went to Pet Sounds and they finished that album. And then um, it was later considered for uh, an album called The Smile Project. I don't know if, you've, if you're familiar with that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was supposed to be their next big album after Pet Sounds. And you know, it wasn't until uh, 2003, I believe, that Brian Wilson actually finally finished that album hmm. and released Good Vibrations. So Good Vibrations was kind of just a standalone single. They later put it on an album called Smiley Smile um, almost a year after it was released as a single. So it was... You know, 
kind of just a one-off thing a little bit. So was the Smile Project, was that a, a Brian Wilson solo project? Uh, no, it was gonna. It was just something he was working on to, you know, be a next Beach Boys thing. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if the rest of the band wasn't in, involved and didn't want to be part of it. And may, I'll tell you a little bit why. Maybe this is part of the reason why is, uh, you know, when he started writing the song, he would write it in spurts. Uh, well, first let me tell you, too, this was number six on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. And in my opinion, it belongs there. This is probably one of my favorite songs of, of all time. Um, I mean, I, I would definitely put it there in the in the top ten for sure. So, so anyway, let me tell you a little bit about the history of this song. Okay, um, when Brian Wilson was writing this song, his mom had just passed away, and um, you know maybe he was reflecting on her. But his he told Rolling Stone magazine, "My mother used to tell me about vibrations. I didn't really understand too much of what she meant when I was a boy, but it scared me. The word vibrations." to think that invisible feelings existed. She also told me about dogs, that they would bark at some people, but wouldn't bark at others. And so it came to pass, these are his words, not mine. (laughs) And so it came to pass that we talked about good vibrations and developed the idea of people being able to do the same with emotions. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Wow, we were doing so well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why? I don't okay. know why that's so funny. <laughs> There's no reason for that to be funny. I just started Vibrations. Well, Are you thinking gyrations? No, just that his mom told him all the time about vibrations. And and then he was kind of scared about it. And I just, oh gosh. I just started laughing. I shouldn't be. <laughs> oh, man. So... Anyway, Brian Wilson called this song a pocket symphony and experimented with it over the course of, of just many, many recording sessions. Um, you can tell, boy, you can yeah. tell a lot of engineering and a lot of work went into that song. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when he recorded, um, he, he recorded different sections and in different studios in order to capture the sound he heard in his head. So no matter where he was, he would go, if he heard something that he wanted to have in the song, he would go to the studio, record that portion of it. And it was kind of a collage of sounds, which, as you can tell from right. from the the song itself, um, and then he built upon um, that layer production in, in as he was trying to do the the Pet Sounds album too, which you can kind of see the resemblance. Yeah. But he devoted like months and months to this specific track, uh, similar to the Beatles' um, "Strawberry Fields Forever" and "A Day in the Life." They were both inspired by the works of Brian Wilson, according to Paul McCartney. I didn't know that. I thought that was yeah, pretty awesome. amazing. Yeah, um, I always thought the the Beach Boys were kind of always inspired by the Beatles. Well, you had sort of a trifecta at the time. You had you know the Beach Boys in America, and then you had the Beatles and the Rolling Stones from the UK, and they were it. You know at the time, but between the the three groups and and the anticipation of a new album from each of them, you know at that right. time. They were really what was going on, and so they certainly, you know, influenced each other. And I'm sure there was some healthy competition going on as well. And that's what I was going to say. This is kind of before my time, but I wonder if it was that way. If it was a competition between the two, I wonder if they felt the need to kind of over the top each other. Could be. But let, I, we, you can't forget about Led Zeppelin. Come on, during that well, same time. Well, no, I yeah. But they're in a different class. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. More progressive, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> 
the, the production of the song actually spanned 17 different recording sessions at four different recording studios. Wow. And they used over 90 hours of tape in, in, in composing and, and recording the song, which is amazing. amazing. And, and a budget of $50,000, which now probably isn't much. But back then, that, that, ha- that was the most expensive song ever recorded. At fifty thousand uh, dollars, I didn't know that. Yeah, although we learned uh, the Bohemian Rhapsody surpassed that. Did it? Years later, few yeah, years after a few that. years later. Wow. Yeah, but it was a similar type of thing. You know, multiple uh, recording sessions at multiple studios. Mm-hmm. But you can tell, boy, the quality. Now, if you're familiar with the song, um, do you know what a theremin is? Yeah. Yeah. Those are great. It's. It, do they use a theremin in that? They do. They I do. never noticed. And that. you know what? I never noticed it either until I listened to it again. And I watched some videos on YouTube, and yeah, you can see him on stage when they do it live. Or it's tell Tim uh, what it is. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, you know, I'm I'm just gonna kind of read from what I got on the internet what it was because it's hard, kind of hard to explain. But it's, this uh, is you know is, is an introduction to it. This is the type of device that they use to make the UFO sounds. Exactly, old it's old, old sci-fi sounds. Yeah. Or to me, it sounds like a ghost or whatever yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, if I was to hear this sound at night, I, I'd be scared. <laughs> wow. So it says the unusual high-pitched sound in the song was produced using a theremin, which is an electric current to produce sound. So imagine the. I don't even. I can't even reproduce it, but yeah. it's it's an amazing, wow, cool sound. So when you listen to it again, you'll notice it a lot, and then. You know, I recommend look watching some videos of them live. They don't use a real true theremin when they do it live, but you know they're reproducing the sound. It's, it's just amazing. Cool. We, 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 my daughter and I got to play with one in San Francisco. They have a science museum there that's really great. And yeah, they had just, a theremin there. You just move your hand across it yeah, normally, it right? Totally cool. Yeah, hmm. and you can use it to manipulate the sound. So I wonder if that's what they used in the episode of the Brady Bunch when Greg was. You know, making the the UFO appear out in the backyard <laughs> oh, while Bobby yeah, and I've, Peter were sleeping out in their sleeping bags, and he he had that whistle. But you know, I'll bet that yeah, they were using a theremin to make yeah. that sound. Um, it's a really old instrument. It's you know dates back to 1919. They say it's really hard to play, and and like you mentioned, Trey, it's something they use in in movies, budget horror movies. I'd like to say, you know, like the day the Earth stood stood still and it came from outer space, <laughs> yeah. things like that. But um, so. The Smile Project, back to that album that it was going to be their next their next album. It was inspired by the success of the song and the positive reaction to Pet Sounds. So people loved Pet Sounds so much and it had such good acclaim. Um, actually, kind of mixed acclaim, honestly. Um, they decided they wanted to, to top the Beatles' recently released Revolver album. And so um, Brian Wilson and uh, lyricist um, Van Dyke Parks uh, started the Smile Project. And they wanted to use all the same techniques and... and things they did in Good Vibrations. But I think Good Vibrations was one of those things, I mean, not that the Beach Boys didn't have such great, so many great songs, they did, but this was such a, don't you agree, this is such a different song for the Beach Boys with the layers. I mean, so different than Help Me Rhonda yeah. or, yeah. you know, other things like that. They, they just couldn't recreate the magic from that one song. And the album was shelved until 2003, I believe it was, when... Um, just not that long ago when Brian Wilson finally said, oh, I'm going to finish this, and he finished it on his own. Um, interesting, though, too, on this, as he was recording this, he had mental breakdowns and so forth, but the Beach Boys were actually going out on tour and, and touring. He would not tour. He was staying home, and he was writing music for the next album or whatever it was, and, and on Good Vibrations, um, he's the only Beach Boy that actually appears on the on that song. Mm, nobody no else, Nobody else plays a single instrument 
on that song mm-hmm. until wow, you know that. until they started touring with it. So is, does he do all the vocals too? Uh, no, he doesn't actually. Uh, okay. Mike Mike Love uh, eventually did um, the vocals. Uh, Brian Wilson he did the the verses and the the chorus falsetto. And but as far as playing instruments, it was all session recorders, session musicians. I guess you would call wow. them. You know, although you say this doesn't sound like regular Beach Boys, it does. It has that flavor of, it has their sound. It has their signature sound. Yeah. I, I recognize that it's a little more complex, uh, the musicality, but you know, I still think it has that feel. Um, although I would say, hands down, this is my favorite Beach Boys song. And because it is more complex, uh, very, very much uh, better than Salt Lake City by the Beach Boys. That's a song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know there's an album cover of them in, in... Isn't there a song called Salt Lake City and it talks about, and you can go to Lagoon and hang out with the girls? I hope not. Yeah, there is. Let's YouTube <laughs> it. I guess it was never a big hit. No. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't Utah. Utah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that's interesting, though, and not that I don't disagree with you, is that when you listen to the song, it's almost like the song is, is three parts. It's almost like it's three separate songs. And so I think you're right. When you look at each each portion individually, to me, it's like, hey, this is a Beach Boys song. And then separately, this is a Beach Boys song, and this is a Beach Boys song. But the way they, they interweave with each other, and especially if you if you get a chance to, to YouTube and watch a live, there's, a, you know, it's not really a music video, quote unquote, but, you know, a music a video of them re- singing the song. It's, it's amazing to see um, the change in, in who's singing what parts and who's singing what song. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, with all the recording sessions, it's like almost like they took three different songs and, and meshed them together. But um, oh. Brian Wilson said that Capitol Records didn't even want them to release this as a, release it as a single because they thought it was too long at three minutes and 35 seconds. Yeah. Isn't that the typical story? Isn't that? It's yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the case anymore. Um, but he felt very vindicated when, you know, it, it was such a big hit. Yeah. Felt like he really had, you know, had something to prove and he was glad he was able to prove that. But that was their their last number one hit for 22 years until they recorded Kokomo. Wow! So wow. yeah, so they had a they had a really long run between hit, number one hit singles. In That's fact, a long hiatus. Yeah, in fact, number seventy four hundred and twelve yeah. on Rolling Stone's greatest songs. Of all time. <laughs> what number? No, I, oh, I was like, I didn't like hear what 7, you said. 7,412. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, it is, though. It is the longest anyone has gone between number one hits. It is. They have a, a record, if wow. you want to call it that. That surprises me because yeah. it seems like they had so many. So they must have They must have got them all early on. Yeah. Yeah. I think when they started to change their sound a little bit, you know, when they started maybe following the Beatles and, and trying a different approach, it just wasn't quite the same i don't in my opinion maybe i don't know well most bands can't reinvent themselves and right. you know the beatles were one of the one of the few that were incredibly successful at going yeah, from sort of much. skiffle and and dance rock and roll to serious sit down and let's listen and then philosophize type rock right. and roll which you know? uh, they've often mentioned they hated going back from when they got to their philosophy stage they hated going back to i want to hold your hand yeah they did you know it was hard for them to do <laughs> so maybe it was a good thing that uh you know, the Beatles. Well, I think ultimately that was one of the reasons they decided to quit touring. because They just flat out quit touring, the Beatles. They just stopped. And and I think that they had sort of um, musically moved on and matured and, and they would have been expected to play those types of songs. Notwithstanding the fact that I think they were just exhausted from their original tour schedule and being pelted by jelly beans. 
I haven't heard that story. Oh, yeah. George, George Harrison one day in an interview said how much he liked jelly beans, and so these thousands of girls threw jelly beans at them. But what oh, wow. they didn't realize is in, in England, the jelly beans are very soft, and in America, they're hard. They hurt when you get hit with jelly beans in America. So That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I have on this song. I, I, great song, and I, I'm glad I was able to do it for my first podcast. Great story. Thanks again, Ryan. That's an excellent story behind a great song by the Beach Boys. It's great to finally uh, have that in our library. Uh, please email us at dudes at rocktailhour.com if you think we got it all wrong, or if you have an interesting Rocktail Hour uh, suggestion of your own. Uh, if you think we're just lame, well, please keep that to yourself. You can also follow us on Facebook uh, and at Twitter. And until the next Rocktail Hour, rock on. Good vibrations, everyone.